Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. A joyous time of year, a wonderful season, we call it, and most of us can't wait till it's over, right? We're, we're anxiously anticipating 2015. My hope this morning is that we'll take a moment to examine that there is more to this season and that there are promises in scriptures uh, that lead us to believe that. You know, we're continuing our series uh, called God With Us. We started with uh, the word hope, and last week we moved to peace, and this week we're going to talk about joy. We're, we're loosely following the tradition of Advent in terms of uh, each week of Advent, there's a different word. If you're following Advent, we're actually a week behind. I'm sorry. But this week is the, is the candle of joy that would be traditionally lit in the Advent tradition. And I began to think about this, that this week in terms of lighting a candle in, in, symbolically for something. We do it in all, all sorts of things. But I began to think, man, what would my joy candle be like if I were in charge of the joy candle and lighting it? Like, to me, a joy candle would be like a trick candle that like blew up and you know stuff came out of it, right? Like you lit it and out popped like beef jerky and video games. Like, woo <laughs> That would be like the best joy candle ever, right? I just invented those. Thank you, Brian. As we continue our series, as we look at Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be in Scripture this morning. In Luke chapter 2, where we are in this story, we've kind of worked our way backwards uh, through it a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but we're right at the place where the angel is announcing to the shepherds this great news. And I want to pick up in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Catch what the angels are saying here in this announcement. There is great joy for all people. All of the people. Great, good news of great joy. As one Christian apologist writes, joy is the true business of heaven. And in this moment, this was the anticipated moment of all of history of all of eternity, in fact, that the angels and the hosts of heaven had been looking forward to for centuries old. This moment of good news, great joy would be provided to humanity. God himself, this idea of God with us is the prophetic name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God wrote himself into the story of humanity in the person of Jesus. God is no longer apart from us. He is with us. He lived as one of us. As I was studying, I, I thought about this idea of the angels and the announcement of this good news of great joy that would be for all the people. And I was thinking of a, a very spiritual song, perhaps you know it, Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> all right, some of you know that song. Not exactly a spiritual I was thinking about this song and this idea, oftentimes how humans try to build a stairway to heaven. On our own efforts, we try to build a way to get to God. And yet in this moment, 
what the angels are declaring is that we don't have to build a stairway to get to God. God built a stairway to come to us for us to get to him through the person of Jesus Christ. Go home and listen to the song. It'll totally change your life right there. The word joy, when used in the New Testament and throughout all of Scripture, but primarily in the New Testament, is an imperative word. It's a command. It's, it's on level of being nearly a moral obligation or a duty of each Christian to be joyful. Uh, R.C. Sproul, a, a great modern-day pastor, wrote it this way. We all, have had, we all have bad days, but the basic characteristic of a Christian personality is joy. Christians should be the most joyous people in the world because we have so much to be joyous about. That is why the Apostle Paul does not hesitate to command his readers to rejoice. What he's speaking of is the command in Philippians chapter 4, in verse, seven, uh, verse 4, rather. Rejoice in the Lord always, and because you're hard of hearing and have trouble comprehending, I will say it again, rejoice. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. It's interesting to note that when the Apostle Paul is writing this, he's writing it from prison. And yet his command and his example is one of joy and thankfulness. And he commands the church in Philippi to do the same. Be joyous. Celebrate joy. Always. C.S. Lewis writes in his great book, Surprised by Joy, that joy is an unsatisfied desire which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. He says, I call it joy, which is here a technical term and must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and pleasure. Joy, in my sense, he says, has indeed one characteristic and one only in common with them, the fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would ever, if both were in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures in the world. But then joy is never in our power, and pleasure often is. Joy, as it does, must stand apart from circumstances. That's what happiness is, based on our circumstances. We are happy. It must stand apart from our feelings. That is pleasure. But joy encompasses and at the same time surpasses both of those things. I often think with this news that comes of Jesus' entrance into the world, if I was that shepherd that evening, how would I react? Would I react in obedience with anticipation and joy? The announcement of someone special coming is this complete and utter transformation of everything about you? Hey, shepherds, the promised Messiah is coming. Jesus! Oh, my God! He was, he was making a religious statement in that context, by the way. I just want to, for those of you who might have been offended. I, I, I love that, that Buddy the Elf is so joyous at the anticipated arrival of Sam. And did you catch what he said? It's deep. He says, I know him. I know him. The long 
awaited arrival of the revelation of God into humankind comes in the person of Jesus. Buddy expectantly awaits Santa's arrival. I want to share with you this morning four things that maybe you can join me in seeking out this year in in experiencing joy beyond this Christmas. And the first thing is to seek him. Buddy Buddy is excited because he knows Santa. There is a, a joy in him because of the promise of Santa coming. And Buddy loves the North Pole. Do we react that way with the promise of Jesus? If you want to experience joy beyond Christmas, beyond this season, seek Jesus. That's where you'll find joy. He's the source. And the shepherds, they're our example. This good news of great joy to all people starts with them. They get to experience it first, and they make the journey. They obey, and they seek out Jesus. They seek, and they find him. This is the great joy. Can that still be experienced today, this Good news of great joy that was promised so long ago, is it still available today? I think so. I think when everything else is stripped away, this is what you'll find in the person of Jesus is he's the source. When Paul commands the the church in Philippi to rejoice, he says rejoice and then he gives them this phrase, rejoice in the Lord. You won't find joy anywhere else. So I'm going to repeat myself, rejoice in the Lord in the Lord and do it always. When your heart is set on Jesus, you will find lasting joy in nothing else. The great Christian writer A.W. Tozer says it this way, the evil habit of seeking God and effectively prevents us from finding God in full revelation. In our and lies our great woe. If we omit the and, we shall soon find God, and in Him we shall find that for which we have all our lives been secretly longing for. If you're honest with yourself this morning, what's your God and? What's your God and when you look at what you put your faith in, what provides joy in your life? Oh yeah, God and my relationships. Oh, God and my uh, Xbox. (laughs) God and that new thing that I've been wanting. God and my job are my source. Take away that and what is left for you. It's when everything else is stripped away that I realize in my own life that Jesus is all I need. I know my prayers often reflect a, a communicating to God what I think I need, right? God, give me this. God, if you would just take care of that. But when those things don't happen, what is it that I really need? I need Jesus. Jesus is all you need. And unless you've come to a circumstance in your own life, many of you probably have, where everything else is taken away, there's a discovery that Jesus truly is all you need. And you can go on fighting and clawing to gain the whole world, but without Jesus, you will never be completely satisfied. At least that's been my experience. I agree with the Christian writer C.S. Lewis when he says, 
I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are not substitutes for joy. He goes on to say, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were created for another world, like Buddy for the North Pole. He's excited because he knows where he belongs. When we find in ourselves something that this world can't meet, that probably means the answer isn't found in this world. It's said that the only one who can satisfy the human heart is the one who made it, Jesus Christ. In his teachings, when Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5 and what's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Jesus teaches about this word. The word he uses is blessed, or if you're really spiritual, blessed. He says things like blessed are are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. And that word sometimes translated in modern vernacular is happy, happy are these people, and he explains why. I, I kind of cringe at the word happy because in Western culture it's come to mean all sorts of things that are really shallow, that don't really, for us, encapsulate what the real Greek word means. In, in our culture, it's a, it's it's a, a warm, fuzzy feeling, as Charles Schultz, the great uh, cartoonist, wrote, happiness is a warm puppy. And that kind of sums up what we think about happiness. So blessed is better in the Greek in terms of its meaning because it encapsulates so much more. It means a profound peace, comfort, stability, and great joy. When you read what he says in that teaching, joy is attainable. It's not ethereal. It's not out there. It's, it's not wispy. It's something that's real and tangible. And he says, this is how you can attain it. And I can only imagine the hearers then were as shocked as the hearers are today when he says that you're blessed when you're poor, and when you suffer, and when you're meek and humble. That joy is attainable, but in such a drastically different way than our world thinks. Look at what the Hebrew writer says as Jesus is our example. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He commands us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, author, and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There was something greater that Jesus had his eye on. Greater than temporary circumstances, he had a joy set before him. That he endured such pain as the cross and its shame. The second thing I would challenge you to join me in this year is a greater level of serving. Whether it's uh, service projects that we participate in as a church or outreaches, uh, volunteers who minister on a Sunday morning to your children or on Wednesday nights to your youth, or on a missions trip. It never ceases to amaze me that when we experience those things, people, their feedback to me is, I've never experienced such happiness and pleasure and, and joy than when I, when I was serving, when I was, when I was down in the dirt on the streets of El Salvador, lo loving on kids with lice who've never heard about the love of Jesus, 
and I was sweaty and dirty, and by the end of the day, I was completely exhausted, and all I wanted was a Twinkie, and they don't have them in El Salvador. I was still joyful because there was something greater than myself. You want to experience joy, serve a greater purpose than yourself. This is what you were created for. This is what you were created for. You were created selfless, not selfish. And so when you begin to crack the shell of selfishness and discover selflessness, you begin to experience joy. This is what the shepherds experienced when they obediently and humbly went seeking Jesus. They served a greater purpose than themselves. And they found that which was promised to them. And I I encourage you, join us on the mission to El Salvador again this year. Some of you right now are thinking, well, I don't know, I don't know. Just come to our meeting following the service and we'll, we'll lay out some of the details for you. But it will radically change who you are change your mindset. You'll experience joy like you never have before because when you take an experience like this, you step outside of your comfort zone and into the zone of God and serving the mission, you'll experience joy. Money back guarantee. We're a nonprofit organization, so I can't give you your money back, but if I could, I would. Serve. Find a place to serve this year, and you'll step into joy. Third thing is rest. Rest. This isn't a, uh, a, an easy or natural thing for me. I have two settings, 100% go or uh, exhausted. <laughs> Some of you are like me. It's just like, go, 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 go. I'll rest when I'm dead. But busyness robs us of joy. Busyness robs us of joy. Even the good things we are busy doing can rob us of joy. We were created to find our greatest satisfaction not in being busy and doing things, but simply resting in God. Think about this. In the Genesis creation account, man is created on the sixth day. Their first full day is the seventh day. That's God's last day. He rested. So man's first day is a day of rest. We were supposed to start each week resting in him. And when we gather on the first day of our week on a Sunday, we take time to rest in God. We sing those songs of worship. That's what we do at the beginning. It's not the prelude to the the message. I know sometimes it seems like that. And I, I wonder in, in our worship, do we understand why it is we sing? I, I listen to R.C. Sproul's words about Christians being the most joyous, and then I look around the room during worship, and oftentimes it's, oh, what's the pastor get up? He's a funny guy. <laughs> Believe in faith. But do we understand? I, I couldn't help but sing those songs this morning about an unstoppable God and kind of get up on my toes because there's something about understanding the great nature of who our God is that brings joy to my heart. I want you to experience that too. It's not about just the singing part and how great our worship band is. Thank you, worship band. 
But there's something in declaring the truth about who God is and finding rest in that everything that needs to be done will get done or has been done because of Him. Joy is certainly then what we were created for in the garden. That was the original state of man, of Adam and Eve. And it wasn't their work that robbed them of joy. How many of you think work is what robs you of joy? Well, if I didn't have to work, I would be joyful. No, you wouldn't. You're not joyful because you have to work. Joyful is, is beyond that. Adam and Eve worked. I don't know if you read that part of Genesis, but you know what they did in the garden after the first day? They worked. They had a Monday morning. Guess what? They got up and there was joy. Because joy went beyond work. There can be joy in work when work is worship. It's that the misappropriation of priority that our work receives because it becomes our source and therefore it becomes our master. Think about the shepherds who did work to go find Jesus. What do you think they did when they arrived at this stable, this manger we're told of? They were shepherds. They're, they're used to places like this. They arrived and immediately upon seeing the baby, they went, this place is a pigsty. <laughs> Let's clean up. Let's get about cleaning this place up. We're shepherds. We like, we like it nice and neat and tidy. My guess is that they didn't do that. My guess is that when they arrived to see the promised Messiah, they rested. They simply rested in the presence of this new king. Sure, there was lots of things to do. Sure, they could have said, hey, Mary, you just, you just had a baby. Don't worry about things. We'll get it all cleaned up here. No, even the good things could wait so that the best thing could be worshiped. They rested. We often forget that in our, our, our obedience to, to Jesus and the purpose that he has for our life somewhere out there that the whole journey is the purpose. That he's drawing us to himself and along the way doesn't want us to miss him in the journey. As Guy Rice Dowd writes in, in, a, in the book Joy in the Journey, he says, we often focus so much on the destination we forget to enjoy the journey. We forget that God is along the way, not just out there somewhere, but each step. Now, I'm, I'm guilty of this. If you've been on a trip with me, students understand this. What do I say before we get in the van or the bus? Go to the bathroom because we're not stopping. It's true, right? You want to get in the car. How many of you take vacations and it's go to the bathroom and let's get going? You want to get to your destination, I'm like that. I know at least one person in the room that's related to me who's like that. Get in the car, and we're going. No stopping. I don't care if it's 18 hours. We don't, you know, yeah. And we forget that there's, you know, there's some enjoyment to be had in the journey. When we rest, we take a moment to see all the great things and great moments around us to praise God and and be thankful for. And, And that's the last thing I would challenge us to this year is praise praise psalm 98 4 shout to the lord all the earth break out in praise and sing for joy i know praise is kind of that churchy word well praise the lord you're not even sure what that means (laughs) praise is an attitude and an action 
of ascribing to God what is already his. It's that recognition. And the writers of the Psalms certainly thought that joy was not a passive feeling created by situations or circumstances beyond our control. They didn't think of joy as an involuntary response to circumstances. The command is a reality to be stepped into by an act of the will. Praise is an act of your will. It's stepping into the reality of joy, praising God for who he is and what he already has done. That's what praise is about. That's why when we sing on a Sunday morning about who God is and his promises, we can be joyful. We can step into it. Not because all of life's situations have fallen into place, but because God is God, everything else can take a uh, a seat. They can fade into the background as we focus on who God is. Praise is an act of the will. It's an attitude, not too unlike Buddy the Elf. And praise is the gateway to joy. When you begin to praise, you begin to step in to joy, and it becomes the antidote to anxiousness and worry because anxiousness, the fear that things will or won't happen the way they need to happen, and then we begin to worry about all the things that we don't have and need to, to, right? And the holidays can be filled with that. And when we praise, we step back from that, and we say, God, I'm going to praise you because I know everything else in the end is, is secondary, but you are first. I'm not going to worry or have fear or be anxious because I know you still sit on the throne and are in control. I like the way Bobby McFerrin wrote it. His prophetic song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. It's biblical. I don't know if you know that. And he, wa- he wasn't far off. Because after Paul, the apostle, writes to the church, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. He goes on in verse 6 of that same chapter. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't worry. Be happy or joyful. It's biblical, I'm telling you. It's not a stretch. Don't be anxious about anything. We are anxious because we think we are in control. And certainly there are actions to be taken in life. But there's a greater understanding of what God is doing. And when you do that, when you praise, when you place the burden on God, verse 7 comes true. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God joins joy and guards your heart and your mind. Praise opens the door and coupled with joy guards our hearts. The matter has been settled. Paul the Apostle in the book of Romans chapter 8 writes this way, and we know that for those who love God, all things work out, work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And he goes on to say, count it all joy, brothers, because it brings about steadfastness. This is written in the book of James. Many of us look at suffering and sorrow and the things that we go through as an exercise in futility. They're, they're needless. But in Christ, it's all purposeful. 
no life experience is wasted. And joy is that deep understanding that God is still and always at work. He hasn't left you. This morning as I was studying, I was reminded of a a very deep conversation that happens in the movie Princess Bride. As, as they're sword fighting and it seems that, that Indigo is losing, he is smiling. And Vicini says, why are you smiling? And Indigo says, I know something you don't know. I'm not left-handed. <laughs> and the fight agains and it, it, it's a great scene, you have to watch it. But I, I think of joy in, in terms of what R.C. Sproul writes, that Christians should carry this joy more so than any person in the world is because we can smile at life's sufferings and trials and tests, not because we feel great about it, because we can look at it and look at those around us and they might wonder, you're suffering, why are you smiling? <laughs> I know something you don't know. There's something greater going on that you can't see and that I might not be able to see, but that's where my hope is and I find my joy placed upon those things. The scripture says those sorrow may last through the night. His joy comes in the morning and for those of you who in this moment find yourself in suffering and in sorrow, when does that morning come? Morning doesn't come simply because the clock has turned from p.m. to a.m., Morning comes when you throw off the covers and the blanket of sorrow and you wake up, you crawl out of bed and you declare to yourself, I will rejoice in God my Savior. That's when the morning comes. That act of will to declare that God is greater than my circumstances. And the great promise of Scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that my present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And I can tell you this, friend. Suffering and sorrow, they have a time limit. And like the milk in my refrigerator, they have an expiration date. Suffering and sorrow will expire. But joy will be realized in the presence of Jesus. You see, joy is grounded in faith and watered by hope that's planted by the Holy Spirit. So how do we move into praise and into joy? I think part of praise is to practice thanksgiving. Maybe like my family, around Thanksgiving dinner, around the table, you all go around and say what you're thankful for, right? That is a great habit to establish, not just around the table of Thanksgiving Day, but for our life you know I I think for me my joy can be limited by the measuring of of the intensity of of the latest blessing that I've experienced from God but joy should never be tied to how we feel God has given us so much to be grateful for I think if you want to kill joy you want to kill thanksgiving one of the ways is to, to look at what you don't have and begin to compare what others do have and then begin to covet and lust after what they have, and then fill your life with complaining. You do, do those things, you'll kill joy very well. But thanksgiving is the fuel for joy to grow. When you enter into gratitude, you, you experience gratitude that gives birth to thanksgiving, and then thanksgiving gives birth to joy. And that's the attitude, that's the act of will to step in to joy. 
So I want you to participate with me in the sermon this morning. All the extroverts are like, yay, and the introverts went, "Uh uh-oh. How many of you have a smartphone? If you have a smartphone, pull it out. Open up your Twitter app if you have a Twitter. You can use it. Everybody under 30, you should have one. So you're going to join me this morning in Thanksgiving, and what I'd like you to do is use this hashtag on your Twitter account, uh, hashtag myc2story, and you can go ahead and and tweet that now. 140 characters, what are you thankful for? What, What brings you joy? What is that thing that you could hang on to? And I'm also going to give you an opportunity to join. Pastor Ben has a microphone. Now, first service, we had the microphone, and people just shouted it out. That's totally okay, okay? But if you need to raise your hand because you're not going to want to shout, we're going to give you the opportunity here to speak about what you're joyful about, what you're thankful for. I know this is totally going to shake you up a little bit because church isn't supposed to be like this. You come to church to watch, not to participate. (laughs) Wrong church. Okay. (laughs) So go ahead and tweet those. We're going to go ahead and scroll them on the screen. If you want to go ahead and put them up, you'll, you can see some of the, the tweets this morning. Uh, Alicia uh, Curran, I'm so thankful for God's grace and continuous love. Those are some of the tweets that have been set out. If you want to follow, hashtag MyC2Story. What about you? What are you thankful for this year? Shout it out or, or Ben has a microphone. I heard it. Go ahead. Anybody? Family. Thankful for family. It's good. What else? Power of change. change. That's good. Thankful for healing. Amen. What was that one? Salvation. Thank you. I thought you said transmission. You know, maybe God healed your transmission. I don't know. Restoration, that's a good one. The gift of life, amen. Hope. Being saved. Friends. All these things that you can't purchase. Although friends could probably be purchased. I don't know how good they'd be, but. How many of you this year, you're thankful for a second chance? Amen. You beat me to the punchline. This is where this whole thing backfires because I don't get to be the funny guy. That's good. 45th chance. I like that. How many of you are thankful that God this year brought you through something? Right? And some of you are thankful because God brought you to something. Maybe a new opportunity or to something. I don't know what that is. Anybody else? He's here. He's here. And isn't that the greatest joy? Isn't that what the angels were announcing? The great joy is not that God is a distant God, but that God is coming here. God's grace and continuous love. That's a good one. So many things that we can step into the reality of joy. It doesn't have to be something to chase any longer. You can step in by an act of your will. My prayer for you this year, Romans fifteen thirteen, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow, overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
In my reading plan on, on version, I was doing one for Christmas, and Louis Giglio writes this. If there is a growing discontent deep inside your heart, a hunger that hasn't been completely satisfied by the people, pleasures, parties, material things, or accomplishments, today is the day to open your heart to the idea that is Jesus that you were made for. But you have to walk away from the less and ask him to become your more. Jesus is enough for you, and he is here. He is here. Would you close your eyes with me, bow your head in this moment? I don't know if you need to experience joy in Jesus for the first time or perhaps just have a renewed sense of joy in him, but I pray that that this morning would be a catalyst for you as you step into the reality of joy through praise, through rest, through serving, through seeking Jesus. That's my prayer that you find that this season and throughout the year. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to us, to your people. Thank you for your faithfulness to me. You alone know how hard I've searched for satisfaction in people and pleasures and things of this world. But they are broken and I am too. You alone can fill my hungry heart. You alone have a love that is like no other. And you never change. So I pray you open my eyes to your workings, to your presence, to your... to your joy and your peace found nowhere else. Help me to know you more this year. And for your people in this room, for those who feel far from you this morning, draw them near. You are here. For those who need a reminder that all we need is in you, may this become the moment of anchoring for their soul not tossed around by the chasing of other things. Bless your people this Christmas season with your presence, with the knowledge of who you are. It's in the mighty name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Hey, we are so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information about a deeper relationship with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Simply email nextsteps at c2church.com.